Well, this morning we're going to be talking about a very familiar parable of Jesus, and uh, I think it's going to be a, just a great encouragement. But before we do that, got a little video that opens up the topic from one of my favorite movies from the 80s. So Caitlin will have no clue what we're talking about because she wasn't even born until the 90s. Or 88. 88. So <laughs> but I think many of you will recognize this, one of these favorite scenes from this particular video. Buddy, remember that girl I introduced you to, Lorraine? What are you writing? Uh, stories, science fiction stories about uh, visitors coming down to Earth from other planets. Get out of town. I didn't know you did anything creative. Now, let me read something. Oh, no, 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 no. I never, I never let anybody read my stories. Why not? Oh, what if they didn't like them? What if they told me I was no good? I guess it would be pretty hard for somebody to understand. Uh, no. No, not hard at all. So anyway, George. That would rain. She really likes you. She told me to tell you that she wants you to ask her the enchantment of the sea dance. Really? Oh, yeah. All you gotta do is go over there and ask her. What, right here, right now in the cafeteria? What if she said no? I don't know if I could take that kind of a rejection. Besides, I think she'd rather go with somebody else. Ah, uh, who? Beth. What you want? You know you want it. You know you want me to give it to you. Shut your filthy mouth. I'm not that kind of girl. Well, maybe you are, and you just don't know it yet. Get your meat hooks off of me. You heard her. She said, get your meat hooks off. Ah, please. So what's it to you, butthead? You know, you've been looking for a Since you're new here, uh, I'm going to cut you a break today. So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Even I know the punchline to that joke. <laughs> make like a tree and leave. Oh, Anyway, but you know what's funny? You watch that clip and you can actually see a lot of biblical conversations in that. You know, when the guy's like, I don't know, I couldn't share my stories. What if people didn't like them? What if, you know, what if I ended up being a failure? Or what if I, you know, what if this, what if that? And you can see that the, the, the younger version of the dad in the show is really struggling with a lot of self-confidence. And actually, it's really funny because the next scene, he, you know, he dresses up in his, I don't know, time machine suit or whatever and puts a Walkman to his ears and, you know, blasts him and scares him into doing what is right. And the funny thing is God just doesn't do that. He doesn't scare us into doing the right thing. He continues to work on us and chisel us so that we can rise up and have the courage to do it. 
often I found we won't risk anything because of fear of failure. What will our friends think? What will my family think? What will our critics say? In fact, I've heard it said one of the stupidest sayings I've ever heard on planet Earth is this saying, um, those who can't teach. And it really just sort of obliterates the whole profession of teachers and people who have the gift of teaching and communicating uh, where would we be without our educators? So I don't think for a moment that those who can't teach is a valid saying. But I have heard another saying. I heard this at a conference once. And it was really uh, talking about the church where they said, in the church, I've heard it said that those who don't criticize. And I have found that to be true. Often there are people who are step forward to give a message or give a word. They step forward to serve on the worship team and they step forward to uh, pray over here. Or they step forward to do the kids and all of a sudden you just begin to hear these little critiques, you know, uh, oh, the worship team didn't do very well today or I just couldn't connect with the pastor's sermon. Da, 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 da. And there's almost this kind of critique that's going on. And often my answer to a lot of people when they begin to criticize, especially if it's like one of the kids or worship or whatever, I say, you know what? Why don't you go try it? Why don't you go try it? Your criticism may have a lot more credibility if you actually step up into the arena and try it. Until you have, okay, yeah, I know, sometimes it sounds a little loud, sometimes a little too soft, sometimes the piano's up, sometimes it's down, sometimes this person taught the lesson and they just had a lot of energy that day and they did a great job, and then the next Sunday they couldn't sleep all night, so they're just barely getting through. I mean, that's just life, right? Often, we can allow our criticisms to help us to lose sight to one of the most powerful truths of life. And the fact of the matter is, is that God will hold us accountable for all that we say and do, not what others do, right? We don't, we're not called to be anybody's judge. God has not asked us to be anybody's critic. In fact, when God looks at us, he says, at the end of our lives, we stand alone before him as we go through what we said and did and we really you know what's jesus and the apostles at the very end of the book they're trying to say well what about him what about him and jesus says what's that to you they got their lives to live and you got yours and so today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite parables the parables of the parable of the talents or as it's said now in modern english the parable of the gold bags let's pray Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. I pray that you would open up our hearts right now, Lord, to receive the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and go straight to the story. It's out of Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Here we go. It says, uh, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work, and he gained five more bags. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received the one bag went off, dug a hole into the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the, other, brought the other five and said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And the master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
you have been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man with two bags of gold came and he said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came and he said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your seed in the ground, your gold in the ground. But see here, it belongs to you. You can have it back. And his master replied, lazy servant, you wicked lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest and the master assigns him a place outside of the kingdom a couple of points that this parable really brings out one of the first one and this is i think one of the most poignant ones point number one is all that we have belongs to god all that we have all that we are belongs to god in a quite literal sense we own nothing not a thing not all the things that we think are ours, if you think about it, are really God's. He made them, he gave them to us, and one day he will take them from us again, everything in our lives. Even our life is a gift from God. And what Jesus is saying here is one day we will have to answer for the gift that we've been given. One time early on in my, uh, when I just started coming to church regularly, I and mean, I kind of sporadically did as a child, but when I really committed my heart to Christ, I started going to church every day. And, and uh, there's this one guy uh, who was just, he was one of those givers in the church. And I don't mean just giving money. He'd give stuff. He'd give, you know. In fact, his family used to always make fun of him because he'd give away his kids' bikes. He'd give away his, you know, wife's Bible. You know, I mean, just all of a sudden, hey, where's my Bible? You know, it's gone, you know. And they could always count on their dad giving it away. And I remember once I was asking him about that because I wasn't really kind of naturally like that at all. And, and I was like, man, how do you do it? How do you just give all this stuff away? Stuff you don't even really need to give away, but you just do. And he looked at me and he said, Tom, when you recognize to whom all this stuff really belongs to, it's real easy to give. It's not mine to give. It's God that gives. I'm just the physical hands and feet on earth giving it. I'm just the person physically here that's dispensing his gifts and his treasures. And he said, and that's the way I look at it. This stuff isn't ours. We're managers of it. We're stewards over it. And the moment we began to think it's ours, ding, 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 we began to not give anymore, but take and take and take and take. You ever notice that? Takers, their favorite word is, it's mine, right? It belongs to me. I own this. This is mine. To which God is kind of laughing and saying, there's nothing on this planet that's truly yours. It all belongs to me. Those little molecules and atoms swirling around your body, 
they belong to me. The life breath that you're breathing right now belongs to me. The oxygen that fuels your body belongs to me. The dirt you're walking on, the brick and mortar you built your house with, the metal that you built the car with, the, the dinosaurs and all that that decayed and composed and made the oil that drives the car, it all belongs ultimately to God. And so one of the things that you can really get out of this story is it was the master who gave the bags of gold. Ultimately, they belonged to him. He gave them, and it was understood from the very beginning that he would come back to settle accounts to see what happened with the bags of gold that were given to these three men. Now, the bags of gold are called talents traditionally because that it was a measurement back in the ancient day. And so one, one of these talents would be equal to about 16 years worth of salary so think about the median salary you know in the united states and times that by 16 and you'll kind of get a sense of how much that the original listeners of this story would have understood so the man who got five bags of gold he got about 80 years worth of salary and the one who got two bags of gold he got about 33 years right of salary 33 two years of salary. And then, of course, the man who had one bag of gold had about 16 years of salary. So these are no small gifts. These are big gifts. But they're gifts that ultimately they would have to account for. It still all belonged to the master who gave. So point number one, all that we have ultimately belongs to God. Point number two is God is not obligated to treat you like anyone else. One of the things that glaringly popped out in this story is that he gave one man five, one man two, and one man one, each according to his ability. There wasn't sort of a, I'm going to give everybody five and then see what happens with this. Uh, God arbitrarily gives as he determines fit. <clears throat> it's, I mean, verse 15 tells us that it was specifically according to their ability that God gave, and then you got to ask, well, what made the determination as to what e each man give and the ability? And the, the simple answer is this, God did. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to. No other reason is needed other than God made this choice and he has the sovereign will to do so. In fact, he can give you more or he can give you less than others, and he does. Some of you have more, some of you have less. Some of you have more money and more talent and more opportunity. Some of you have more strength and more health, better connections, and some of you have less than that. In the great pecking order of life, there is always somebody above us, always somebody perhaps on our level, and already somebody beneath us in a multitude of categories. And I'm not just talking about financially. It could be in uh, emotional, uh, uh, emotions, mental capacity, could be in height, you know. I often walk around thinking I am the shortest person on earth. And then I stand next to Kiana and I don't feel that way. <laughs> you know, and this reality really leaves us with two choices. And choice number one is you can gripe about it until the cows come home. There's just no answer. You know, I have an answer as to why I'm short. It's genetics. 
I don't have answers to everything else. Why certain doors open for other people and they don't open for me? Why certain people I connect with and then certain people I can't? I don't, I don't really get all of that grand scheme of things. I just know that what God gave me is all I need to do what he expects of me. Does that make sense? Not all of you are me. And believe me, I am not all of you. I am not any of you. Now, I'm, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, but you know, I mean, you know, you, you just get this sense that you can either gripe about it or you can accept it. Start where you are and do what you can. Everybody really is trying to do the best they can with the limitations and limited options that they have here on earth. And so when we get into that comparison game, it's really useless and non-productive. Who knows why John got more and Billy got less? Every moment worrying about that is truly a wasted moment. We're not all equal in terms of talents, gifts, and opportunity, but we all have the same chance to do something for God with what we've been given. You don't hear the two bag of gold person saying, well, God, if you'd have given me five bags of gold, I'd have 10 right now, but this is why I only have four. He did the best with what he could for God with what God gave him. You know, I often tell people who want to do more for God. I was talking about this just the other day. Somebody really who struggles with uh, depression and anxiety. We we're talking about this. I want to do more. I want to do more, but I just feel like this limits me so much. And they're like, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, and I want God to heal me of this. What should I do? I said, either until this gets healed, until God heals this, do the best you can with what you got. That's what, that's what, God, that's what Jesus would say to you. Do the best you can with what you got. And if you got things that hold you back from time to time, you got limitations that hold you back. You're welcome to the human race. But what this parable is really warning against is don't do nothing just because we have limitations. Does that make sense? Number three, God will not hold us accountable. God will hold us accountable not for what we have, but for what we do with what we have. Think of it this way. Your life, that's God's gift to you. But what you do with your life, that's your gift to him. Think about that for a moment. Your life is God's gift for you. What you do with that life is your gift back to him. Let's talk about the third man. What did the third man say to God? I know you are a hard man. You know what the third man's saying? God, I know you. I know you. You're a hard man. You reap where you haven't sown. You expect things. You, you're a hard man. I knew you were going to come back. I knew this about you. But if you really think about it, the third man doesn't know Jesus at all. The third man doesn't know Jesus at all. Rather than focusing on the reward of his faithfulness, he focused on the punishment of his rebellion. And that was what clouded his judgment. The third man didn't know his master. 
the third man had completely underestimated the incredible generosity of his master, the incredible joy of his master, that the, that the master would eventually commend, promote, and invite him into further and better things into the kingdom. The third man was convinced that he knew his master, but he didn't. He's got kind of the classic loser's mentality. He's the perpetual victim, thinking that the system is always rigged against them. You know, I can spot these guys a mile away. I start talking, and all I hear about is, well, if it wasn't like this, and it wasn't like this, and the system wasn't rigged in this way, and I didn't have this, and I'm this, and that, 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 always something that is limiting them. And what they don't understand is that you plus God in your life breaks any of the limits that may hinder you from what God has called you to do. Now, for me, I understand many of my limits. So I don't kind of like go out there and say, one day, Tom Nackey is going to be the president of the United States. I know that God has not given me that bag of gold. I know that. No pressure for it. No interest for it. I mean, quite frankly, who would want to be president today? You know, all those people go through. I mean, I, I've been old enough now to follow two or three of them. And I think to myself, whether I like them or not, I, sometimes I just feel sorry for them because they're constantly in someone's bullseye 24-7, you know? They just live with that 24-7. And for me, I, 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 I'd resign after day two, you know? I mean, it would just be like, as I go, you know, you can have it back. You know, I don't want this. I don't, I'm not built for this. And it's okay to know that. It's also okay to know, you know what? I am built to, for this to be able to teach and to be able to preach, to be able to pray and to be able to care and all those kinds of things. Find out where your bag of gold is because God's not going to ask you, God's not going to hold us accountable for what we have. It's for what we do with what we have. If you've got skills, use them for the glory of God. If you've got love, use it for the kingdom of God. If you've got a voice, use it for the kingdom of God. If you've got administrative skills, use it for the kingdom of God. If you've got a heart for kids, use it for the kingdom of God. If you've got a heart for music, use it for the kingdom of God. If you've got a heart for food, use it for the kingdom of God. If you've got a heart for a vacuum cleaner, I love how it gets silent at this point, you know. <laughs> everything is silent at this point then use that vacuum cleaner for the kingdom of god <clears throat> see the third man his biggest problem was this instead of living in love and faith in god he lived in fear and mistrust of god and a lot of times when i'm in a pastoral counseling meeting i look for that what is your view of god how do you relate to god if there's fear and mistrust, I automatically begin to think we may have third man syndrome here. Third man syndrome. And that's the ultimate problem. Because once you remove the fear and mistrust of God, you'll find that a lot of people, they'll come to Jesus like that. They'll come to Jesus like that. It's that fear and mistrust and thinking that God is this hard line judge that keeps a lot of people away. And so they do what this guy does. Well, I'm going to bury it. If he ever comes back, I'll say, hey, at least I can give you back what you gave me. 
And perhaps the message this morning is this. God doesn't simply want us to give back our lives to him. He wants us to do something with them, to make a difference. And by the way, to make a difference until our dying breath. You can retire from a company. You can retire from your business. You can retire from school. You can retire from a bank or a corporation or a restaurant. You can retire from a job. You don't retire on God. You can't retire the call. God says that the gifts and calling are irrevocable. So to our dying breath, that's what I love about Moses. He is minutes away from death, and he's looking out into the promised land. And I bet you if God said, you know what, Moses, even though you're 120, you want to go take them a mile or two in, I think he'd have ran down that mountain and said, yes! To our dying breath. So what's the third man's true problem? He thought he knew God, but he didn't. And because he didn't know him, he didn't trust him. And because he didn't trust God, he did nothing. And because he did nothing, even what he had was taken away from him. So my fourth point is this, and this point recently came uh, from conversations with a good friend of mine here at the church, and it's a great saying. In fact, it's a saying that I have assimilated into my life about a lot of things. Dieting, <laughs> exercise, getting some more ministry training, taking some time out to sharpen some of my own skills. Oh, yes. Did you see that? That was... <laughs> Told you I was a five-bag-of-gold kind of guy, you know? I'm just kidding. <laughs> the fourth point is this. If not now, then when? I often think the third man for most of his life, thought, you know, I ought to dig up that bag and do something with it. I ought to, you know. I think that the third man toward the end of his life didn't even really believe in his own excuses anymore. I think for many of us, we can excuse ourselves too much out of our limitations. Oh, I have this. Oh, I'm that. I'm not the right height, or I'm not the right gender, or I'm not in the right economic class, or I don't have the schedule that allows, you know, we can come up with so many different excuses. But the fact of the matter is, is that we were not given our lives just to live them in excuses or fear and mistrust of the Lord. What the God is really calling us into here is a relationship filled with joy so that as we all approach that dreaded day, what is that dreaded day? The day where we won't be here anymore. The day where we will see God face to face. As we all approach that day, don't you want to hear? Well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. Now I will make you faithful over much. Come and enter into your master's happiness. I have entered into some of your guys' happiness, and it's great. 
I can only imagine entering God's happiness is an experience of joy and happiness and amazement and wonder I can't even imagine right now. I want to enter that happiness. And to do that, if all he's asking me is to be faithful to him with the life he's given, that's what the story is about. So many people misconstrue this story to be about money, you know, that, I mean, just like anybody, you know, that you double your investment. No, the investment is this, that we are faithful to serve God and live the life he's called us to live to our dying breath, that we don't quit, that we don't give up, and that we don't make excuses for backing away from serving the kingdom of God but that we dig in every moment. That doesn't say you don't have moments of rest and break. I'm about to enter one. There are times where you kind of pull back and sharpen your axe a little bit. That's not what we're talking about, that it's just a daily grind. It's a lifetime, whether you have the breaks in there or not. It's a lifetime of approaching our lives with that faithful service to God. Back in Exodus, God said to Moses, What's that in your hand? And Moses said, it's a staff. And God said, throw your staff down. And when he did, it turned into a serpent. And now, and then God said, pick it up, Moses. And when he turned it and he picked it up, it turned back into a staff. That's Exodus chapter four. God asks the same question of you and me. What's in your hand? Not much, you may say. Give it to the Lord anyway. Offer it to Him. You may not have much talent. You may not have much money. You may have little opportunity. Fine. But offer what you do have to God. Give it all to Him. Put yourself at, your, at the disposal of the King of Kings and you will be surprised with what you thought was a very little thing to give God. You will be surprised at what God will do with that little gift. Remember, with a little stick, maybe seven feet long, God parted billions of gallons of water when that stick was raised. Just a little stick. Huge sea parts in front of the ex- exodus, the Jewish exodus. So the question remains, your church needs you. This church needs you. What will you do? Will you do something for us? Will you serve in some way? Maybe it's the snacks out there. Maybe it's the chairs. Maybe it's working with the kids over here and the youth. Music, obviously our church is a big music church. Would you sing? Would you play? I know what some of you are thinking. I'm just not very good. That's not my question. That's not what I'm asking. Because you know what I found? People who are not very good can get better. They can, you know. You are not stuck. We are organic beings, constantly changing and constantly growing, whether we want to or not. Whether we want to or not. I'll take someone who, well, I'm not very good. Great, come on. We'll get you good. We'll, we'll show you how to practice. We'll give you some pointers. Same thing with the kids. You know, I like kids, but I, I, I don't know the Bible very well. We can, we can work with that. We can work with that. We'll get you lessons. You know what? A great way to learn the Bible is to start teaching. It really is. I must have been a believer maybe one or two years. They threw me in the nursery. 
They said, you start doing, and I learned all the songs. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And I learned all the hand actions. I'm, you know, 19 years old doing all this stuff. And then I'm like, you know what? I can't do this without knowing the Bible verse. So I'm looking up the Bible verse. And, da, da, da. and all of a sudden, by the end of my time in the nursery, I knew like 20 stories from the Bible I didn't previously know. What's that in your hand? Your church needs you. What will you do? The world cries out for help. What will you do? Christ calls and says, come and follow me. What will you do? <clears throat> One of my first mentors after I had moved back to the United States, he was a business owner, and he only had to go into his business about two or three hours in the morning, and then the rest of the day he would meet with people from the church. And I thought to myself, man, that's a great business, you know, but he was a, he was a dairy dis distributor, so once all of his dairy trucks went out, there was, there was, you know, he could leave. And so, you know, and he worked, like, began at, like, five and worked till eight. And then he was done. I'm thinking to myself, that's a dream schedule. <laughs> so he'd meet with me at, like, 8.30. And, uh, and I remember I never talked to somebody who had this much money before. I'm like, you know, why don't, you know what? He had a small little house. He was in love with this classic car. And, oh, I wish I could remember what it was. He would had it forever and just kept fixing it and fixing it and fixing it. And I remember asking him, why don't you just buy a new car? Man, you could have a place in Maui and a place in France. And you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, you really don't understand what you could do with all this. You know, <laughs> I'm like, let me, let me sit you down and tell me what money can buy. You know, <laughs> I'm just trying to educate him, you know. Let me show you how a good American acts like this. And, uh, and he, said, he, he, he said to me, and I'll never forget this, he said, you know, he said, I'm very careful with my financial blessing." I said, what do you mean? He said, I don't want to buy something that would compete with my faithfulness to the Lord's call on my life. He's like, you buy a house in France, you got to go there. You buy a house in Maui, you got to go there, you got to keep it up. He said, I, he said, I'm very strategic. He's like, that's why I bought a timeshare. I know my three weeks, <laughs> you know. Uh, he said, you know, he said, he, he said, I'm very strategic because I don't want to be the third man. So preoccupied with the things that compete with my faithfulness that I just never have time to be faithful anymore. And I took that lesson to heart. And I think about that often. I don't want anything to compete with my faithfulness because the reward is Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. Now I'll make you faithful over much. Come into your master's happiness. I don't know what we have waiting for us, but I have a feeling it is going to be a joy, a pleasure, and it will be with you. It'll be a reunion with you where my wife becomes my sister and you are all my sisters and brothers and my sons become my brothers. What a glorious time that'll be. Build your life on the kingdom of God.
so that one day you'll hear that two seconds after you die. I dream of it sometimes, just hearing, Tom, well done. Well done. You had a thousand reasons to walk away and one to stay. And you stubbornly held on to that one. Well done. Come. Come into my happiness. Before we close today, I'd like to just give a very simple invitation. And that invitation is to come on come on into the family of the master. The master gave the bag of gold to the servants. The servants were a part of the master's house. In order to get into our master's house, we have to make that choice. That choice to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. to make that commitment and that decision to allow his spirit to fill us to receive that bag of gold to have someone to be faithful to and to know that God is not a father that we need to have fear and mistrust of but that we can look forward to his reward if you'd like to make that decision for Jesus Christ this morning Please just look up at me and make eye contact right now. Just look up, look up. Amen, 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 amen. Let's say this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. I make you my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.